This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to welcome a trusted ally joining us from the United Kingdom, and I must add, a great friend of the United States of America, Sir Ivan Lawrence. Sir Ivan Lawrence served as a member of the British Parliament for 23 years, a distinguished barrister and bencher of the Inner Temple. Sir Ivan was heavily involved in improvements to criminal justice and continues his practice in the criminal courts. In the British Parliament, Sir Ivan Lawrence served as chairman of the Home Affairs Committee, chairman of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association, and member of the Foreign Affairs Committee. He has won considerable reputation, mainly as a defender in some of the United Kingdom's most prominent cases. His practice has taken him to the Divisional Court, Court of Appeal, the House of Lords, and in a mass murder war crimes trial to The Hague in the Netherlands. He is qualified to appear in the International Criminal Court. Sir Ivan served as chairman of the parliamentary group Conservative Friends of Israel. He served on the board of deputies of British Jews for 42 years and trustee of the Holocaust Educational Trust. He serves on the Executive Advisory Board of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. And on this note, we are truly honored to welcome Sir Ivan. A very good morning to you, sir, and welcome to America's Roundtable. Welcome, Sir Ivan. Good morning. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, Sir Ivan, uh, four years of relative calm in the Middle East were replaced by Hamas's rocket attacks on Israel. The United Kingdom designated the military wing of Hamas as a terrorist group. So terrorists from the Gaza Strip started the attacks on innocent civilians living in Israel and the loud anti-Semitic minority in the United States, the United Kingdom and Europe joins in in condemning the Jews. We are witnessing the rise of anti-Semitism on the streets of the United States of America and the United Kingdom. The blatant attacks on Jews and Jewish communities around the world cannot be tolerated. Sir Ivan, what are your thoughts and observations about these impermissible developments? Well, it just seems, um, Natasha, that the world sometimes has gone mad, that there should be any criticism of Israel defending itself, as it has a right to do, because it's a democratically elected government, uh, it's a democratic country, it has follows the rule of law, it follows all of the rules and regulations that decent countries have, to criticize it when it's being attacked for defending itself seems to be absolutely total nonsense. It just shows that uh, there's more to this than just whether or not uh, Israel has a right to exist and survive. And um, sadly, um, it means that the deeper concerns and considerations of anti-Semitism arise. How you can't be allowed 
to defend yourself. And particularly, there is one way of stopping anything bad that was happening in Gaza. It was Hamas stopping bombing um, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and threatening its bombs on Jerusalem. What is it? 4,300 bomb attacks in two weeks. And Israel's got to sit back and do nothing about it. One of the newspapers um, in Britain quoted this the other day from Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan wrote in 1982 with his tongue in his cheek, the neighborhood bully just lives to survive. He's criticized and condemned for being alive. He's not supposed to fight back. He's supposed to have thick skin. He's supposed to lay down and die when his door is kicked in. He's, he's the neighborhood bully. That was the text of one of Bob Dylan's famous um, songs. And uh, that epitomizes it. You know, you, you point out the bully who's, who's not the bully. He's defending himself against bullying threats from others. So it seems that the world's gone a bit mad in criticizing Israel for doing this because um, Israel could easily stop having any retaliation if it wasn't attacked in the first place. Indeed, Sir Ivan, after the Israeli ceasefire with the Iranian-backed Hamas terror group, we are shocked by the fact that Hamas had financial resources, significant amounts of cash, it appears, to build and fire as you rightfully mentioned, over 4,300 rockets targeting Israeli cities, including Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Now the West, including the Biden administration and the European Union, are talking about sending significant aid to rebuild Gaza, with the greater concern that taxpayer aid will fall into the hands of the Hamas terrorist group. What were your initial thoughts after you heard of the 4,300 rockets on Israel and how these resources were obtained to build it, and what should the West do, including America and Britain, to address the present threats of Hamas, which is backed by Iran, and what to do with the aid promised? Well, that's the point, isn't it, that um, Hamas gets its weapons from Iran and um, has the support of um countries that are totalitarian, non-democratic countries. I mean, it's not just Iran, it's North Korea, it's China, it's Russia. These are the countries that are supporting um, the terrorism, and it's dreadful. Now, the only solution, it doesn't come from anything that the United States can specifically do or the United Kingdom can do. It's going to come from regional cooperation regional understanding of the various problems and getting the region to operate in such a way that there's no future terrorism. And that's why it's such a good thing that there is, um, for the first time in many, many years, the coming together of some of the Arab states in the Gulf with Israel, because that's very encouraging. The organizations that are most likely to have an effect upon Hamas and Hezbollah in Lebanon, uh, any of these terrorist activities are in fact the Arab states who um, can look to them and say, now, you know, we, we've had enough of this. Anything that the United States can do and the United Kingdom can do to support the Arab states 
who are coming together to try to produce peace in the Middle East is terrific. And that's why the legacy of Abraham Accords is so important, because Abraham Accords were signed between Israel and United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan in order to pursue the peace, stability, trade, and investments in the region. Absolutely. Well, trade and investment is a big factor, but it's not the all-important factor as far as Hamas is concerned. I mean, they know, don't they, that Gaza is going to flourish if there's peace, but they don't want peace. Well, they haven't wanted it hitherto. Hopefully in the future they might, but uh, that's maybe wishful thinking. But I mean, the way to stop not just people dying, but the development of your economy, the development of trade and industry and getting some luxury in people's lives rather than terrible hardship is not to have aggression, not to be terrorists, not to bomb your neighbor. Uh, Sir Ivan, uh, there has been a concerted effort by a number of countries now to investigate the origins of China's COVID-19 virus. We have to make sure that this does not happen again. Sir Ivan, in your opinion, in order to prevent another similar spread of a virus in the future, what are our legal options to obtain accurate information and evidence from China? Or what can be our UK and US sanctions in case China refuses to cooperate? Well, I mean, hopefully, China won't refuse to cooperate. Hopefully, China will see the sense of an analysis of how the matter started. And I don't have any real reason for believing that China is just going to turn its back on that. But it's not just China, it's all the countries. Every country has got reasons for looking at how it developed its defense against COVID and making sure that any failings that it had are put right next time. I mean, for example, in the United Kingdom, I mean, there was talk about a herd immunity early on, which was dropped. I mean, it wasn't pursued, but that turns out to have been a mistaking thought. We, we have a very high number of people died in the United Kingdom. I mean, they are hardly dying at all now, and sort of hardly any deaths on any days or any weeks. But to begin with, there were an awful lot of deaths, and that may have had something to do with the fact that the hospitals were discharging people to care homes. And so there are all sorts of things that have to be looked at in the United Kingdom, which in the end um, will turn out to have had a better COVID than a lot of, sadly, a lot of other countries. But it's not just the United Kingdom. Every country has got to have a look. And how this thing started may or may not be China, but China must have a look at it and see what can be done. China's a wonderful country, but it does have some strange, um, from Western points of view, habits. They may have um, resulted in this happening. But then once it happens, you can't necessarily stop a pandemic, but you can take steps to make sure that it doesn't spread. And uh, that means prompt action. And on the face of it, it doesn't look as though China's reaction to what happened in the originating province uh, was very quick. And if you deny that anything bad is happening, then that's got to be corrected. It's possible to exaggerate 
if you're not actually dying yourself or your loved ones aren't dying, a lot of what has happened even with this dreadful pandemic because it's 1% of the population get COVID and 10% of the 1% have been dying from it, which is minuscule really if you think of other terrible pandemics in the past where half the population died. So it's possible to contain this, but you've got to be grown up about it and you've got to be prepared to accept any failings as a country, as we will do with our inquiries and hopefully other countries will do as well. Sir Ivan, in regard to this particular issue that uh, the European Union and the UK have approached it with a different strategy, if one would say, in the European Union as we looked at how Brussels was operating in regard to authorization and acceptance of the COVID vaccine, uh, there was significant delay in the process. But in the United Kingdom, there was a expeditious response to accepting and authorizing the COVID vaccine and making sure that individuals were vaccinated at many points of uh, connections within the United Kingdom. And United Kingdom actually was one of the first countries that began a massive program to vaccinate its population and to reopen its economy. On the other side, the European Union has appeared to be a laggard. And I think one of the things that this particular example shows is that the European Union is still very much engaged in the the bureaucratic process uh, that it failed to deliver the quick response or the rapid response that its citizens were looking for. So for those that supported Brexit, perhaps in hindsight, they would look at this as a a positive development. And as this post-Brexit period moves forward, and also as we get out of the pandemic that the world is facing, I'm sure that the citizens of Great Britain are looking forward to trade deals being signed with other countries to being able to foster greater trade with India, with the United States, with other countries. And so what do you foresee, Sir Ivan, as the uh, future of the United Kingdom in advancing these positive initiatives and trade agreements with the Commonwealth countries and others? That's a very big question, Gerald. Um, Just let me comment firstly on the vaccination program. I mean, we woke up and have done brilliantly with the vaccination program, which sort of leading the world, really. Indeed. We have rescued some of any criticism that might have been levied against us for the slowness in shutting our borders, for example. So quick action, that's the point. And also we're blessed with having um, two of the great vaccination producers um, in the country. So that's been good. It's taught us a lesson. I mean, I don't know if we'd have still been in the European Union because Brexit hadn't worked. Would we have had vaccination on the scale that we've had it since we've left? People don't like any Brexiteers claiming any pluses from this. But what is the solution? If we'd have been one of 28 who got together and decided that they won't go yet on an all-out vaccination program, we wouldn't have had so much success with the vaccination and many more people of of our people would have died. So I think we're entitled to say that. Now, as far as your wider question about the effect of Brexit is concerned, the main point about Brexit that is leaving the European Union, was that we should have control of our own trade, our own business, and the way in which we run the country. We return to sovereignty 
which we'd surrendered for, it was thought, the good of the European Union, which to a large extent it was, but it hadn't, it didn't go the right the way through. And as a result, we decided that we ought to leave if we wanted control. Now, the, one of the purposes of control was that we should be able to trade with countries that we'd been stopped from trading or reduced trading with because of tariffs, because of the rules of the European Union. And now we're no longer in the European Union, we can trade with who we want to provided we can agree proper terms and whether or not there are tariffs and what the tariffs should be. And we're targeting, we, we're targeting China and India and Australia and New Zealand and Canada and all the Commonwealth countries where English speaking is a very easy way of um, developing trade and of course the united states most of all and that's why we left there are some occasions when we're not doing quite as well as we as we had hoped but they're very few and far between it looks as though the united kingdom is going to develop very well with its spread of business interests with all of the other countries particularly those that are English-speaking, but not necessarily those that are English-speaking. I mean, India is an English-speaking country, but China isn't. But we, we'd like to do more with China. And it's a shame that relations aren't very good at the moment with China because of human rights issues. And they're um, cutting back on a lot of the, uh, the freedom that they um, seem to be developing, hopefully for until recent, um, until recent times. So, but the world changes all the time. It's all always in a state of flux, but I'm very confident, and it's one of the reasons why, the main reason why I was um, a Brexiteer, was because we will be able to extend our trade and with trade comes higher standards of living for the people. And um, if you have higher standards of living, you can have a better government and you can have uh, better human relations and human rights. And you can um, do so much more if you're flourishing. And we're flourishing with the freedom that we have outside the European Union and our own sovereignty back again. One, yes, and as you mentioned, the benefits of sovereignty is also that you can pass your own laws that are valid for United Kingdom. That wasn't the case before. And actually, the United Kingdom has been leading the way in stopping the big tech companies, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Twitter, from abusing their market dominance. And according to its business secretary, the newly set up Digital Markets Unit is to be unashamedly pro-competition and help curb the dominance of the tech giants. A digital secretary, Oliver Dowden, said in April, I quote, Today is a major milestone on the path to creating the world's most competitive online markets with consumers, entrepreneurs and content publishers at their heart, unquote. Sir Ivan, what have been the latest developments and what are the next steps to be taken to see the initial results in curbing the dominance of these tech giants in the UK? Well, um, there is non-stop contact with the, the people that run and own Facebook and Instagram and all of the other online activities which are so important 
a part of the commercial and social activity in the world. I don't know, I am not present at any of these discussions, but we're told that they are very much concerned with making sure that um, rules of human rights, civil liberties and fairness and decency are followed and that they don't just sit back and let anything happen which anybody can just put any old nasty stuff onto the social media and it stay there. They're trying to take it off. Uh, whether they're taking it off enough and quickly enough is a matter which is always under consideration. We're trying to diminish the role of these, um, these companies in spreading bad things and replacing it with spreading good things. There's nothing we can do and or would want to do necessarily about getting rid of um, the social media and all the work that's being done by these great international organizations. But we have to constantly criticize them, constantly remind them of what their duties ought to be if they're trying to be a decent society. So this um, hits a point that's being sort of discussed very strongly in the United Kingdom at the moment. I mean, it's terribly important that there should be reasonable criticism of the activities of any state-related or state organization, which is why there's this criticism of President about the BBC. BBC was a trusted organization there. Now, it's been revealed that the um, person who, who interviewed um, Princess Diana did it by way of deceit. And that's dreadful. But the really important thing is that um, provided the BBC responds correctly to it, and improves upon its own behavior because it didn't respond immediately correctly to it, this strengthens a very important point in democracy, that is that there should be criticism from established institutions of other established institutions. There should always be that criticism. That's why the press are so important. The media are so important. Google and Facebook and everything else is so important. And we always now have to, have to concentrate on making sure that those organizations behave properly, do the right thing. Now, one of the distinctions between the Western countries with the rule of law, with very strong media, with very strong press, um, it's very different from how it exists in some of these autocratic countries. I mean, is there a strong critical media in Russia? Is there a strong critical media in China? Is there a strong critical media in uh, Belarus? In, in North North Korea? Uh, well, Belarus is sort of seems to be in Russia's pocket. I mean, it's um, mm -hmm. that seems to be the outstanding difference in effect between the authoritarian countries and the, and the democratic countries following the rule of law is that we not only allow, we encourage criticism from the press, the media, or whatever, so that everybody is reminded if they're going off the rails to toe the line of decency properly. 
And um, that's a very important point that's going on at this very moment, and it, it affects um, the uh, big social media companies as well. Indeed, in fact, on behalf of America's Roundtable Radio from Washington, D.C. and the International Leaders Summit, we are truly honored to have you, Sir Ivan Lawrence, joining us on America's Roundtable. And if we may share just a, a word of information is that you were one of the founding principals in the efforts to have the United Kingdom move out of the European Union through your support of the European Research Group, a think tank initiated by conservative leaders in the early 1990s. And that dream, that vision, that tremendous work that you all accomplished during those very early days in raising serious questions about the future in the European Union and the support that you have given uh, to independent voices and leaders and citizens has truly materialized uh, in Britain's favor. And so we commend you for your leadership in leading this Brexit initiative. And there's another lesson out of that. So when we did all this earlier on, uh, we were a very small minority of members of parliament wanted to leave the European Union. But by persevering and keeping on to it and not letting our minds be changed, then eventually we brought everybody around to accepting an well, overwhelming majority, um, which is why we won the referendum um, to leave the European Union. So persistence in doing the right thing is also a very important element in international governance. Indeed. We commend you for your leadership efforts. Sir Ivan Lawrence served as a member of the British Parliament for 23 years, a distinguished barrister and bencher of the Inner Temple. In the British Parliament, Sir Ivan served as chairman of the Home Affairs Committee, chairman of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association, and a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee. In fact, Sir Ivan served as chairman of the parliamentary group Conservative Friends of Israel, and he served on the board of deputies of British Jews for 42 years and trustee of the Holocaust Educational Trust. And indeed, it has been our great honor to hosting you, Sir Ivan, on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, Sir Ivan. And thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be with you. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.